Birds, Patient and Public Engagement Podcasts. Hello and welcome back to our third episode in our podcast series for young adults with rheumatic conditions. My name's Mulbrook, I am the Patient and Public Engagement Director for BIRD. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about the importance of pregnancy planning with Dr. Ellie Korondovich, who is a consultant rheumatologist at the RNHRD in Bath, and Claire Park, who is a consultant obstetrician and gynaecologist from the RUH in Bath. Hello, Ellie. Hello, Claire. Hi, Thanks Mel. for joining me today. Hello. Hi, Mel. Hi, hi Ellie. Lovely to have you both with me. Um, we're going to talk today about pregnancy planning for young people with rheumatic conditions. And I think what, what would be nice is if we started off with a little bit about how you interact with young people. Um, perhaps, Ellie, could we start with you? Sure. So, um, so I'm um, a consultant rheumatologist in Bath. And um, for a number of years now, uh, we've actually run a specific young adult uh, clinic in the rheumatology service. So we see people in that clinic um, specifically who are between the ages of around 17 and 25. And that clinic's supported by a nurse specialist. And we have a dedicated uh, registrar in that service as well, so that people can get to know us a little bit better. And there are a few things that we put in place to make young people feel a bit more comfortable with coming into a clinic. They have clinic spaces usually later on in the day, so they don't have to get out of bed quite so early. And we offer uh, telephone and text support. And then I also run a combined clinic with Claire, and that's specifically for people who are either pregnant or are hoping to become pregnant. And in that service, we do see people who are uh, younger. Um, and so there's there's lots of young people that I see in my standard clinics, but uh, those are the clinics that I try to see people who are younger uh, specifically. Thank you, Ellie. And Claire, can we hear a little bit about how you engage with young people? Yeah, certainly. So um, my name's Claire and I'm one of the consultant obstetricians and gynaecologists uh, working at the RUH um, in Bath. And one of my main roles as an obstetrician is I'm involved with the maternal medicine component of antenatal care. So that's usually patients who have got complex medical conditions um, who are either planning a pregnancy or who are pregnant. And so the majority of my work for sort of the young adults, late teens and early 20s, probably come under the cohort of endocrinology in relation to diabetes. Mm-hmm. But also, um, as Ellie has already mentioned, um, the joint clinics that we run together for rheumatological patients. I also run a joint clinic with my colleagues in gastroenterology. So that's colleagues who look after people with uh, inflammatory bowel disease. And I think what I'm quite passionate about, and and we're really fortunate that we've got the service in rheumatology here at at the Royal United Hospital in Bath that does offer advice to to teenagers running into their early 20s about the transition with their medical conditions into adulthood. And and included in that is pre-pregnancy counselling. But sadly, that doesn't coexist in, in other 
areas of medicine and that's an area that we're trying to hopefully grow by mm-hmm. doing some piloting tools moving forwards um, and we've got a pilot at the moment in in the endocrinology clinic and I think what the purpose of our job is is to really help individualize risk to those young people about the implications of, of their condition that they have with a pregnancy um, and I guess vice versa how a pregnancy can then subsequently affect their condition and I, I think moving forwards that's just something that we want to I want to try and stress on the podcast today that there is advice and support out there and to try and give some ownership to those patients and to give them confidence to to seek medical advice um, when wanting to try and plan a pregnancy and how best to protect themselves when they're not wanting to plan a pregnancy. Okay thanks Claire hopefully we'll cover lots of those things as we talk through today on the podcast which this is going to be part of a series of podcasts aimed at younger people so I think this will fit very well. Let's perhaps start by talking about why is it important that young people with rheumatic conditions talk to their consultants or their doctors first before they even take the steps along trying to get pregnant? I think what's really important for us to be aware of, and we talk, we're talking generally about rheumatic conditions, not mm-hmm. specifying each, each individual one yep. in its own entity. Um, any medical condition that you have has an impact on the pregnancy and vice versa, like we, like we said previously. And what we really need to get across to patients is that optimizing the medical condition as best they can before they embark upon a pregnancy really does benefit both themselves and from their own health, but also has real positive implications on the successful outcome of their pregnancy that they're planning. And so I think sometimes we've got to be careful when we say successful as well, because (laughs) successful isn't without, um, it's not uneventful, so to speak. Um, And so there are side effects um, that can affect the babies and that can affect the mums if their conditions are not optimally controlled. And I think this is where Ellie's service really comes into play by ensuring and having regular contact with these young people to make sure that their disease is well controlled and that they're on the right medication um, and that their disease is stable so Mm. that they really are not having any significant flare-ups because we know that if I think three to six months before a pregnancy, if you've had no flare-ups within that duration, or the longer the duration is without a flare-up, the far less likely you are to have complications with the disease in a pregnancy and the better the outcome to that baby. Would you say that's right, Ellie? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, not every pregnancy is planned. um, And I think it's important to say that even if a pregnancy is unplanned, the majority of those pregnancies will be successful and have a good outcome. But obviously, if young people can try to plan uh, a future pregnancy with their partners, with their uh, clinicians, to make sure that everything is as well controlled as possible and discussions have already been made around medications that might need to be altered before embarking on a pregnancy or the implications of those medications during a pregnancy, then that's really important because, as you say, Claire, it will make sure that things have the best possible outcome, which ultimately is the aim for every mother to be. Ellie, do you find that people do come to you and ask first or is it I mean, obviously, like you said, there are unplanned pregnancies, but in general, are people aware that they need to ask you some advice first? 
I think people are aware that they probably should ask, but often things um, take a different course during the fairly short appointments. So one thing that we always advise people to do is try and make a bit of a list of things that they want to discuss with the doctor or nurse they're seeing their appointment. Mm -hmm. That means that uh, in the heat of the moment, uh, when you're feeling sometimes a bit nervous in an appointment, be that a telephone appointment or a face-to-face appointment, that you don't forget something important that you want to say. And I think it's also uh, really good if you do have a a stable uh, partner, if that partner can come with you as well. It's good for them to hear things from straight from the clinician's mouth and they will have questions as well. We have to remember the partners in this and they sometimes get forgotten. So, yes, I think uh, people are aware that they probably should be talking about it. It's something that uh, sometimes doesn't always come to the fore because people concentrate on other things and sometimes it's just sort of thrown in towards the end of the conversation and I think often it needs more time than we give it and it's fine to say look you know this is the main thing that I want to talk about today mm-hmm. uh, can, can we spend some more time on that and, and if, if we know that then we certainly will and we can always offer a second appointment that's more dedicated to that discussion. Okay and I think it's really important to remember that pregnancy planning can happen from males and females can't it the, Absolutely. the need, the need yeah. for knowledge yeah, so yeah. um I, yes that's one thing that i think sometimes and i know the cohort of women the patients that i see are all women but mm-hmm. obviously there are men there are males out there who are on medications for rheumatological conditions that can affect fertility um, mm. and probably more so actually than in women because we know most rheumatological conditions per se don't affect your fertility rate. So you can get pregnant just like anyone else without a rheumatological condition. The miscarriage rates generally are unchanged. Mm. Um, However, with men, there are certain medications that they must stop um, sort of a good three to six months prior to trying for a child because it does affect the sperm production. Um, And I think that's an area that I can't access because I don't see the male population. Yeah. Yeah, so it is something and it's something that often really gets missed, I think, is the is the male partners in this. And mm. often the men are not aware that their medications can affect their fertility or that they should be discussing that with their doctors. So it's probably an area of unmet need. I think that, that men need to be a bit better educated. We often think when we're starting a, a young woman of childbearing age on a medication, we often will ask them about their plans for pregnancy before they start on any new medications, but sometimes that's missed in, in men. Yeah, I think that's really important that we highlight that here and, and also that the impact of some medication could make the chances of having a baby harder. That's on both sides, particularly for men, it sounds. Yeah. So what, yeah. About, what about for women? Do their medications make it harder to get pregnant? any of the medications they might be taking? Um, Yeah, so uh, one thing that I just wanted to mention is anti-inflammatory medicines, things like ibuprofen that you can buy over the counter, but some of them are prescribed by GPs as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know that the anti-inflammatories, although they can be really beneficial for somebody's arthritis in terms of symptom symptom control, um, can sometimes affect uh, the ability of a fertilised egg to, to implant successfully. And that's something that often women aren't aware of. And so we do want to uh, let people know about the implications for some of their sort of more simple anti-inflammatory painkillers that they are taking for a pregnancy. And equally, uh, the anti-inflammatories need to be carefully managed during different stages of the pregnancy as well. So that side of things needs to be discussed with their doctor. 
And then there are other more specific anti-rheumatic medicines that uh, people can be prescribed that sometimes are incompatible with pregnancy. So that means they mustn't have them if they're pregnant. And if they fall pregnant whilst they're taking those medications by mistake, sometimes it's advisable not to go through with the pregnancy. So there are, it's really important to be thinking about all of the medicines that you take for the rheumatic condition and also other medications that you take over the counter and medications that are prescribed for you for other conditions and really have a good conversation with your GP, sometimes with the pharmacy, and then discuss it with the consultant or the specialist nurse or the registrar when you come into clinic and make sure that you know uh, in advance which medicines you need to stop, sometimes for three to six months, as Claire said earlier, Mm. Uh, before embarking on pregnancy and obviously the other thing that that uh, people often forget and 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 don't think about is the is the straightforward things uh, such as folic acid which is obviously vitally important uh, for all women to take um, before planning a pregnancy and during the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. And there are some of our medicines in uh, rheumatology that strip the body a little bit of folic acid. So sometimes some medicines require a higher dose of folic acid than the normal dose that's recommended. So I would say, you know, it's really important that for people before they embark on a pregnancy, ideally to have a look at all the medicines that they take and, and discuss what should be stopped, what could be stopped, whether there are any alternatives to the medicines they're currently taking that are safer in pregnancy. And before they even start a medicine, they're having a discussion with their uh, doctor or nurse about a medicine that they might want to start for uh, control of their arthritis that they just have a little think about whether they might be thinking about getting pregnant within the next year or two and whether there are therefore alternatives to those medicines that might be better placed for that individual at that time. Because mm, potentially you're going to avoid, or hopefully you'll avoid what could be a very distressing situation, aren't you, if you take the right advice? Yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. absolutely. And that's, and that's something that we do sadly see from time to time um, in other patients with other medical conditions that to stress the point that Ellie just made about if they are being started on medications for their particular condition, to really, really make sure it's it's part of the consensus of asking them about their fertility plans. Because if they are wanting to start a pregnancy 12 or 18 months later, actually the importance of having contraception for that crossover time until their disease is, is stable, because this is something that sadly we have seen all too recently where patients have been encouraged to terminate a pregnancy that has been planned but they have not had the right pre-pregnancy workup and they're on the wrong medications and actually it is life-threatening to to them or, or to their to their unborn child and and mm. that's a very very distressing situation to be mm. in both both for the patients and for the clinicians looking after them um, mm. So something that I want to see brought in more is when medications are started, actually, there is that crossover to ensure that they're on adequate contraception and that clinicians of all ranging from GPs through to physicians do understand what contraception patients are eligible for with their medical conditions. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're largely talking about rheumatic drugs, but quite often people do have medications for other other conditions, don't they, that's going to have an impact? yeah, I think, Mel, there are conditions linked to rheumatological conditions, probably less so in your teenage cohort mm. than in your young adults for who they've got pre-existing kidney disease because of their rheumatological conditions or they've got lung disease or heart disease and they are on medications for their kidney function or their, their blood pressure, which are severely cardiotoxic to a, a sort of toxic to a baby's developing heart or... Mm. 
and there may be conditions where the patient themselves has a medical disorder as a side effect of the rheumatological condition, which requires proper optimal care. So take, take kidney disease, for example, and there is a small cohort of patients who might have severe kidney disease and they really must not get pregnant until we've got stable disease for a good 12 to 18 months. And so those patients, although they're planning a pregnancy, actually they should be advised not to plan a pregnancy and to review the situation two years down the line once we know that they've been stable for a long time to prevent harm to that individual. Mm. It sounds so simple, doesn't it, saying have a conversation, but it, or the lack of knowledge can really compromise the whole situation with regards to being pregnant for, for the baby and for the mother. Yeah, it's very much like a jigsaw puzzle, isn't it? And you yeah. need to make sure that you've got all the pieces correctly aligned for the best outcome. Yeah. So if we move on to when someone has actually got pregnant, I'm just wondering if there's anything about their rheumatic condition that might complicate a pregnancy? Certainly there are different types of arthritis. Some rheumatological conditions actually improve during pregnancy which is an interesting um, fact and something much appreciated by many mothers-to-be and that's most commonly rheumatoid arthritis but psoriatic arthritis and sometimes some of the other autoimmune connective tissue disorders can actually improve during pregnancy Right. Um, and people for the first time sometimes in several years can feel very good with very little joint pain and stiffness and swelling that commonly happens during the <laughs> second and third uh, trimester. Um, and um, so that's really nice because it means that people don't have to worry about the fact that they're not then taking their medication and can manage without much medication during uh, pregnancy. So and we, we do often see that if that's the case with the first pregnancy, often that sets the course for subsequent pregnancies as well um, and uh, often encourages people to have uh, more than one baby. Um, uh, what we sometimes find, unfortunately, is that those people who have got better during pregnancy do uh, have a flare-up of their arthritis uh, around kind of three to six months after they've given birth, uh, which needs to be thought about and carefully managed and there need to be plans in place for how mm. somebody would deal with that if they do experience a flare-up, because obviously you're in the midst of looking after a young baby and, um, and so you need to have uh, phone numbers and contact details for who to contact in case that does happen so that we can try and get on top of it quickly. Mm-hmm. Um the other thing to say is that some conditions unfortunately can worsen during pregnancy and we do see that occasionally and one of the reasons that there are some medicines for certain conditions that we really do encourage people to continue with during pregnancy and not stop. Right. Uh, the reason for that is that if their condition becomes more poorly controlled during pregnancy, that can be obviously not good for the uh, mum, but not good for the baby either. Mm. Um, so it's very variable depending on the individual. It's very difficult for us to predict what is going to happen during pregnancy. But what's important is for people to be carefully monitored by their midwives, carefully monitored by their GPs and by their specialists um, during pregnancy just to make sure that we get on top of any flare-up that they might have uh, quickly so that um, we can make sure that they're not struggling for any longer than, than necessary. Do we know why things change in pregnancy? Why you could have a dampening down of symptoms or... Uh, uh, oh, yeah. you're, getting, you're getting into molecular um, medicine now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no simple answer then. No, no simple answer. I think, I think what's really important 
to help explain is these are immunological conditions. So you have alterations in your immune system that cause this disease process or this condition to develop in an individual. Mm. And in pregnancy, um, your natural immune system alters as well to allow a, a, a fetus, to allow a, a baby to grow. Um, yep. And there's sort of two main changes that occur um, within um, again on a molecular level on two, two certain areas one's called complement and one's called um, your t-cells um, and so th the balance of this against the immunological conditions is what causes an increase or a decrease in the in the flare-ups or whether the disease process improves um, mm. and that's certainly the case with with your arthritis with your rheumatoid conditions we don't truly understand the exact precursors to it I think, Elliot, do you have anything to add on it, really, from, without getting too technical? For <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for that question, Ali. Yes, yeah, no, it can be, it can be a bit technical. So, I mean, it's interesting, uh, Mel. I mean, we obviously know that hormones affect people even developing arthritis in the first place. So mm. many types of arthritis and autoimmune conditions are more common in women than they are in men. True. Um, and then we know that things like the contraceptive pill and um, uh, menopause and HRT can affect people's uh, rheumatological conditions in various ways. And as I said before, some people improve uh, with pregnancy, some people get worse with pregnancy. Uh, some people find that HRT makes their symptoms better. Some people might find that it makes them worse. So it's, it's not one size fits all, but mm. certainly there's very interesting interactions between hormones um, and uh, the immune system that uh, come into play even more so obviously during pregnancy. Okay. Um, it's a very difficult question to answer that, but it, I think it's yeah. one that you would naturally ask, isn't it? Just out of yeah, curiosity. Yeah, no, and it makes sense. But there is that trend that if your condition improves in pregnancy, it, it usually will deteriorate after pregnancy because your immune system changes and the hormone levels mm. drop um, and vice versa, that if your condition is worse in pregnancy, you tend to find that in the postpartum period, so the period where you've just given birth, actually your symptoms tend to improve. So, mm. So you don't know until you've been through it, really, do you? Exactly. Not really, no. One of the things I wanted to ask, we were talking about medications, and um, Ellie, you mentioned that some of the medications would continue. And I'm just thinking early pregnancy, morning sickness. Is this something that might affect the way that medicines are absorbed? Or have you seen a, an impact of yeah. that kind of thing? Yes, I mean, it's important because... Um, some of the medicines that we use in rheumatological conditions can make people feel a bit nauseous mm. or a bit off their food anyway. Um, and uh, obviously, if you then put morning sickness into the mix, then uh, that, that can make things uh, really quite troublesome. Um, what we do recommend is obviously that somebody has been on a medication for quite some time before they plan to get pregnant. So usually it's not a new medicine that they're uh, getting used to when they mm. then have to deal with uh, morning sickness. So it should be uh, something that hopefully they've already begun to tolerate or that we've sorted out any uh, potential side effects before they become pregnant. There are some medicines such as steroids that are vitally important that if you need steroids as part of your medication regime, it's vitally important that you don't stop those suddenly. And if people do have very severe vomiting during um, the early stages of pregnancy, then that's something that needs to be carefully managed. 
most people with morning sickness obviously have more nausea than actual vomiting um but mm. if people are actually physically being sick then it can have implications for the absorption of their medication and there are other routes of giving medicine sometimes for instance by injection that we sometimes have to consider um mm. but obviously it's something that is, a, is an additional uh, burden for people to have to deal with if they're also taking uh, medications Absolutely. And of course, morning sickness isn't just morning sickness for a lot of people, is it? It's an ongoing nausea feeling all day. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully yeah. that clears up. So once somebody gets pregnant, does that mean an increase in the number of appointments they should be having with their consultants? Um, not not necessarily um, with their, their normal consultant, but what we would encourage people to do, particularly if they live in the Bath area, is to be referred into our combined obstetric rheumatology clinic that we run at the RUH. And in that clinic, uh, both Claire and myself and our specialist nurse will try to see people every three months just to keep a bit of a check on things. Mm -hmm. There are certain conditions that have more implications for pregnancy, particularly mm -hmm. associated with certain antibodies in the bloodstream um, that need to be monitored more frequently. But that's one of the reasons for trying to plan a pregnancy is that we would know hopefully in advance if an individual carries those particular antibodies. And if they do, then often they will need to have more uh, frequent scans of the baby to monitor the baby's growth right. uh, and more frequent visits with their uh, midwife to listen to the baby's heart. So just a bit more wraparound care. Yeah, I, yes. think, I think the important thing is that when they do find out that they're pregnant and they book with their midwives and, the, and their GP, that they touch base with us in the, in the hospital setting fairly mm. early on in the pregnancy so we can actually set out a good course of management for the duration of their pregnancy. Sometimes people slip through the net and then we don't end up seeing them until well into their second trimester, by which point we may have missed some important elements of their care. So um, while they don't necessarily need extra appointments all the time, it's important that they touch base with us early so we can ensure those that do need the extra appointments get them. And it's, it is all about individualising their care for each person because everyone will have a different disease process and a different path that they, they may need to follow with, I guess, weighing up the individual risks to that mm -hmm. model. Um, and depending what those risks are will depend on how often we want them to be managed. Okay, so in an ideal setting, somebody's thinking about being pregnant, they've come and had a conversation, been through all the meds, got the balance right for that particular person across any and all conditions that they may have. Hopefully they have their phase of um, pregnancy glow and they're feeling good. They might even have a good phase where their disease activity is much lower than normal. Mm -hmm. What about towards the end of the pregnancy and preparing for the actual birth? I'm just thinking if a birthing process would need to be adapted if somebody's got things like hip or back problems, whether or not things like caesareans are more common for those kinds of problems. Yeah, I mean, part of their pregnancy care that takes place with their community midwife is always what their birthing plan would be. And that's taking upon their individual wishes and taking on board what information we would recommend as consultants, both Ellie and I, about what is best for them. So, yes, if you've got 
uh, rheumatoid disease and it affects your uh, cervical spine, so it affects the movement of your neck, and then there may be particular issues with anaesthetic assessments. Mm. If you have patients with ankylosing spondylitis or you've got patients who've got significant reduced movements in their hip joints and therefore they simply can't manoeuvre their legs into a position that allows a natural birth, Mm. um, then we might have to modify what we perform. There are also patients who will have significant medical conditions that will be at much higher risk of having um, either early births, so premature labour, or for those that might require a planned elective caesarean section. But um, there are also many conditions out there where we just don't interfere at all and we allow nature to take its course. Again, it does come down to individualising that care for, for that person in front of you. So... So it's a conversation that can be had and really anybody who's in that position shouldn't be sitting worrying about it. They should be making sure they're talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned about premature labour. So is there a risk of low birth weight babies or early pregnancy? Is this down to the medications or is that just the natural order of things in terms of risk that most uh, I, think, I think very much a combination i mean mm. certain rheumatological conditions don't carry any increased risk and others do we know that rheumatoid arthritis um if you look at our normal population of women who don't have rheumatological conditions the risk of having an early birth so that means delivering under 37 weeks mm. is approximately one in ten Um, whereas for rheumatological patients rheumatoid arthritis for example it's probably somewhere in the realms of one in four one in five but that doesn't mean to say that they're all going to deliver very early it's just it's a statistical difference that we note right we know that birth weight though with rheumatoid um, arthritis is not affected at all so there's no increased risk of babies being small for their gestational age okay but there are other conditions where that is relevant and therefore those patients may need extra growth scans as Ellie had said earlier on because if you are at risk of having a small baby then we know that those babies are more vulnerable and we might want to plan an early birth for them Mm. or big babies Um, yeah, actually, very rarely do we get big babies. Big babies can be sometimes associated with a certain steroids if you're on them for a long time, because the mums can sometimes be at risk of developing um, gestational diabetes. Um, but that is that is very unusual. Mm. I think the one thing to worry about with sort of when we talk about the babies themselves, that what are the risks to the baby? And the main thing is, again, going back to optimising their care, uh, optimising yeah. mum's care. Um, so making sure they're on the right medications to reduce the risk of, of abnormalities that can occur with some medications, uh, particularly in relation to the brain development or heart development. Um, and we know that those babies who might be at risk of being small or being born early or having risk of um, developing heart conditions because of antibodies, we're able to formulate a management plan for those women in their pregnancy to identify those to therefore intervene if we need to, but also to have a plan in place for when the babies are born, if they are at increased risk to make sure that they've got review by our neonatal doctors, which are our baby doctors. Right, okay. I think I think what's important to, as well, I think while we talk about the risks to the baby is maybe identifying the risks to the mum as well. Um, mm. And so we talk about identifying those that might have pre-existing medical conditions related to their rheumatoid disease, such as um, if they've got blood pressure concerns, how this might impact their pregnancy moving forward. It might increase their risk of 
developing a condition called preeclampsia and therefore we would need to make sure that we monitor them on a more regular basis Mm -hmm. sometimes we would want to add in medications such as aspirin from about 12 weeks of pregnancy to help reduce their risk of developing preeclampsia i think sometimes as well only mentioned about patients who have antibodies in their blood um these patients are at significant risk of developing blood clots in the pregnancy because pregnancy itself increases your uh, risk of having what's called a venous thrombosis. So blood clots that can develop in the deep veins of your legs and they can travel to your heart. This this can be sort of very rarely life-threatening. And so um, for people with rheumatological conditions who have these particular antibodies, that risk sort of more than doubles um, and quadruples in some situations. And so women have to ensure that they're on medication to reduce this risk and they would need to give themselves injections throughout the pregnancy Mm -hmm. uh, to to modify their risk for thrombosis. Um, Yeah, it's important, isn't it? Know, Know your risks and manage them. Yeah, but I think the other thing as well that sometimes people are concerned about the long-term effects that a pregnancy might have on the disease progression um, and actually very rarely is it is it altered um, so having multiple pregnancies doesn't have any long-term impact on the overall progression of their disease as they progress through the decades um, unless you've got severe forms of certain of certain rheumatological conditions mm-hmm. that's interesting okay so can we talk about after the delivery And we talked about risks to the baby and how to sort of manage those ahead of time. In terms of returning to medications, what kind of time frame would someone start taking, say, something like biologics again, if they had to stop a biologic or a particular medication? And are most of them ongoing, say, for things like breastfeeding? So it depends very much on which medication somebody's previously been on as to whether it's safe to breastfeed on that medication. An awful lot of medications are very safe to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as in general, the medicines that are safe to take during pregnancy are also safe to take during breastfeeding, but it always needs to be just double checked before somebody continues to take it. Obviously not everybody chooses to breastfeed and some People may choose not to breastfeed if it means that they can then restart a medication that they wouldn't otherwise be able to take if they were breastfeeding. And that discussion needs to be had between the mum and their clinician and the family. I think sometimes there's an awful lot of pressure on mums to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what we have to remember is that the mum needs to be in in as good a state as possible in terms of their arthritis to be able to care for themselves and care for their new new baby. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of things that need to be thought about and people shouldn't feel under undue pressure to have to uh, breastfeed for at least for you know many months. Often the first few weeks is the most, the first six weeks is the most important time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they can manage that, then that's to be encouraged, but it doesn't, necessarily have to happen if the mum uh, is really struggling with their arthritis and needs the medication they can't have when they're breastfeeding. Um, having said that, there are an awful lot of medicines that they can take when they're breastfeeding, including some of the biologic drugs and some of the more complex uh, anti-rheumatic drugs. So have the conversation and have the conversation during pregnancy rather than uh, once the baby's been born so that they can plan for what they would ideally like to do 
we all know that things don't always work out the way that um, we always have planned in our heads. Mm. Um, so plans plans are, are, can be made, but they need to be adapted for the situation that the person finds themselves in. And we have to be, you know, just accepting the fact that, um, you know, it's not necessarily an ideal world and people just need to adapt what they do to make the, the best of their situation. The other thing to say, Mel, is that we mentioned earlier that um, sometimes people do uh, experience a flare-up of their condition that's often around three months to six mm. months after they've given birth. Um, so ideally, we would want them back established on their medication uh, before then, uh, if possible, to try and avoid that flare-up. Uh, and certainly we would want to encourage people to seek advice and to, to give us a ring. There are, there are various uh, ways that people can access information in, in the department and most of those can be over the phone. So it's much more accessible to, to a mum with a young baby. Absolutely. Um, and we can see people in an emergency clinic or as, as a day case and we can offer joint injections or other forms of rescue therapy if we need to, if somebody's really in a bad flare. So people shouldn't feel that they have to really just struggle on and they should always seek help if they're if they're not doing so well yeah so before they go into a downward spiral potentially yes. it's, it's really good to know that they could have a telephone appointment because sometimes it's just hard getting out of the house with a young baby absolutely hot cup of tea and hard to get out of the house yes. yeah absolutely <laughs> and, you know not just because you're tired as well maybe from the disruption of night feeds and the fact that your body's yeah. been through a huge physical process so if you do have your rheumatic condition sort of kicking back in and that brings fatigue with it as well it's it's really important it all gets sort of managed before it, it becomes rock bottom. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think that kind of having a support network and knowing, you know, that they can phone people, knowing that they can have the support of family, it, it's all part of the planning process, isn't it? We talked about pregnancy planning, but it's post-pregnancy planning as well. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. A lot of people might worry that the baby is going to, have the same condition that they've had perhaps through genetics is this something I mean for men and women obviously is that a concern that you see when people are planning pregnancies and and is it something that people would commonly ask I think people do worry about it I don't know that people commonly ask it uh, to be honest Uh, I think they should because often people can worry unnecessarily Um, there are some of the rheumatic conditions that have a more inherited component but there are many of them that don't and as a general rule it's much much more likely that the baby is not going to have any of the conditions that the mum or the dad have than that they do and I think that's that's a really important thing that um, people need to realise. Having said that there are certain conditions uh, for instance psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis and rheumatoid arthritis that are a bit more common for them to run within a family. So that risk, I suppose, is slightly greater if there are other members of that person's family with that condition already. But if that person is the only person in their family with that condition, it makes it a bit less likely mm. that there is a strong genetic uh, component. Unfortunately, it's not very easy to predict and we don't have any good tests really to say whether or not somebody is going to develop a particular condition Um, and it's fair to say that all of the conditions that we look after all of the rheumatological conditions we look after 
have lots of different factors that are involved in why that individual gets that condition, not just the genetics. So there's lots of different mm. factors, environmental factors such as and triggers um, and things, triggers and yeah. uh, smoking and a variety of other things that they may be exposed to that might have triggered that condition off. Um, uh, genetics is important, but it's by by no means the be all and end all. If it was very straightforward, we would have a simple genetic test to tell if somebody was going to develop yeah. something like rheumatoid arthritis, and we just don't. So it's it is uh, you know it's it's not very well understood. I think people shouldn't be put off trying for a pregnancy just because they have a, a medical condition, a rheumatological condition, because as I said, you know, it's very much more likely that the baby will not have that condition. So many um, factors. That... Equally, you know, having experienced that condition themselves, then they would know the things to look out for in their uh, child or advise their future Definitely. Yeah, I was thinking that. Up. I was yeah. thinking that the benefit would be that you would notice it perhaps earlier if if yes, it was a you absolutely. know yeah and you know the field the field of arthritis and and rheumatological conditions has moved on so much in the last ten twenty years so the things that people are experiencing now I very much hope and expect them not to be experiencing you know in twenty thirty years time and there will be new medications new ways of treating things new ways of diagnosing things that are always changing. Um, so that means that the future should be a better place for control of, of various medical conditions and our knowledge is increasing every year. So I would encourage people not to be unduly worried and put off having a family because they're worried about passing any conditions on to their future mm. children. I like that optimism. I really like that <laughs> because, no, it's research. We, you know, that's what you see, isn't it? You see developments all the time. So it's yeah, very yeah. true. Yeah, yes, not to get too bogged down with, with the worry right. of it. Yeah. Yeah. So finally, just to make sure that people are clear, where can they go for information? Are there some useful links and resources that we can point them in the direction of? So for our patients under our care with rheumatological conditions, then they will have access to our telephone advice line, which is run largely by our nursing team, and that can then access the consultants if needed. Patients will often seek advice from some of the online resources and websites and versus arthritis, psoriatic arthritis alliance, NAS for ankylosing spondylitis, the National Rheumatoid Arthritis Society. So there are lots of condition specific patient information mm -hmm. resources and sites that they can turn to. I think the Versus Arthritis website, what used to be known as Arthritis um, Research UK, um, does have some information on pregnancy and pregnancy planning and medications. Um, and there, I believe, is a, a PDF document that can be downloaded on pregnancy and arthritis. So I would point people towards those uh, resources. Okay. Well, thank you both so much for taking time to talk through all of this. It's been really interesting and hopefully what we've got here will be really helpful to young people who might be thinking about a future pregnancy. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. It's Thanks, a pleasure. Beth. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks very much. And good luck to everyone out there who's planning a pregnancy. Indeed. Absolutely. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and just a reminder that you can sign up to hear about more podcasts and all the patient engagement research opportunities that are upcoming by joining our mailing list 
all you have to do is send an email to admin at birdbath.org.uk. The link is also in the text description of this podcast. We would also like to thank Health Watch Bath and North East Somerset for helping to fund this podcast. Time for a quick cuppa and a stretch. While you've got the kettle on, I'd like to just mention our new text and donate service that will help us to fund these podcasts. All you'd need to do is text BIRD to 70460 to donate £5. This costs £5 plus a standard rate message. Thanks for your support.